0: Welcome back to the Film Experience. I'm your host, Nathaniel R., and you're listening to another edition of our Supporting Actress Smackdown. Uh, This time we're doing 1957. Now, one of the things to know straight away about 1957 is that arguably the two Best Picture nominees that are best remembered today, The Bridge on the River Kwai and 12 Angry Men, uh, were both basically all-male casts, so they had to look elsewhere for the Supporting Actress category. So today we're going to be discussing... Hope Blaine and Diane Varsi in the soapy melodrama Peyton Place, which was a huge hit and later became a TV series. Elsa Lanchester in the all-star Agatha Christie adaptation Witness for the Prosecution. Carolyn Jones in a black-and-white indie from the director of Marty uh, called Bachelor Party. And the eventual Oscar winner Mio- Miyoshi Umeki from the prestige Hollywood message movie Sayonara. Now, ready to meet the panel? We're going to start with Brett Wood.
1: Hi, I'm Brett Wood. I'm in charge of archival restorations for the film distributor Kino Lorber. And I've found that the closer you look at a film, the more you gain from it, no matter what the film. So I'm looking forward to this opportunity to talk about the supporting actresses of 1957. And I'm glad that we're not just talking about the winner. It'll be good to uh, shine a light on the performances of the so-called also-rans as well.
0: And next up, we have Kenji Fujishima.
2: Hello, uh, I'm Kenji Fujishima. Uh, I am a film and theater critic who has written for publications including Theater Mania, uh, The Late Lamented Village Voice, Slant Magazine Paste, and many others uh, and that's for why i wanted to do the smackdown well i've always to be honest enjoyed watching the oscars even if i don't always take their uh selections seriously i figured that it would be fun to do this uh especially for this particular year because there are many there were many films included that i had always been meaning to catch up with anyway
0: And another guest we have is Izzy from Be Kind Rewind. Hi. And why did you agree to do the Smackdown, Izzy?
3: Um, So on my channel, Be Kind Rewind, um, I focus on Hollywood history and the stories of great actresses through the lens of the Oscars. So it's something I think about a lot, um, and I love film history. So this. Seemed like a great natural fit. I'd actually seen a couple of the movies, actually most of them already, so um, it was really fun to revisit. I uh, have been wanting to rewatch Peyton Place for a
4: while, so I'm glad that I had the opportunity to do that.
0: And my next guest is Kimberly Pierce.
4: Thank you for having me. Well, I've actually been watching the Oscars. I was thinking back on this a little bit since. Before I can really remember, thinking back to the, you know, 93, 94 shows when I was first just learning to love film. So this was before I'd probably even seen most of these movies and before I had an appreciation for everything that went into it. But it was always something that I always did. And that was probably what started my love of film history, which is kind of a big thing for me and got me blogging and reviewing films and just let me learn to love the medium. And then
0: we have Q. Allen Bracca.
5: Hi, my name is Alan Broca, and I am a filmmaker. Um, You can find me on Twitter at Alan Broca, A-L-L-A-N-B-R-O-C-K-A. I am here because I love the Oscars. I've been obsessed with them since I um, can remember, because I've always wanted to become a filmmaker, and it was a way of feeling closer to film, just um, being able to watch the Oscars as a kid every year.
0: And did you have any particular reason for being interested in, in 1957?
5: 1957 was interesting to me because it's the year the only year um an asian woman won an act, has won an acting Oscar. so i had not seen the film sayonara and i had always met to, and this was a great opportunity for me to do it
0: now that we've introduced everyone i regret to inform you that the beginning of our conversation was slightly cut off so you'll have to join the conversation and media res <laughs> We're going to jump right in. Uh, We were talking about The Bachelor Party. Now, The Bachelor Party was Delbert Mann's follow-up to Marty. And Marty, of course, won Best Picture and Best Director two years earlier. Um, So we're just going to jump right into the conversation as Brett Wood is discussing this very sad party uh, between a a bunch of uh, coworkers out in the town.
1: Friends, how long is this night going to last? And even in that movie, he... You know, the next morning he goes back to his job but it's not you know it's bittersweet he's the you know uh after hours character going back to the job is definitely uh a, a, an unhappy ending so i don't know maybe there's some element in this that he's accepting his you know barely middle class lifestyle just because that night was such a you know, traumatic experience for him i don't know mm-hmm.
2: yeah, i guess yeah. if there is irony in the ending then it's very uh you could just to put it charitably, very subtle. <laughs> I, I dig for it, but I guess you, you, you could you could read it that way. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, this um, this might be a point to to mention: Carolyn Jones, the the actress nominated in this category, uh, who is like the one performer in this cast that got any nominations for this film because my reaction to the character who is termed as the existentialist in the, the end credits. Basically, she's um, she pops up early on in this uh, evening odyssey for these guys. Uh, they, she goes to a party that the guys will eventually, at least some of them, will eventually return to later, and uh, the main character, Charlie, yeah. Charlie, made by Don Murray, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly, he talks to this woman, and um, my immediate reaction to at least both the character and uh I guess to some degree Jones' performance is by far the most interesting female character to some degree the film because it it kind of suggests like she's like a character um that I guess Don Murray's character is briefly enticed by but mm-hmm. kind of scares him. Yeah. So he runs away runs back to his uh his his actual wife
0: so yeah the the yeah the the moral messaging of it is very um muddy that there i think because it's like it's it's seemingly indicting all the middle class values but then embracing them at the same time
5: Uh, yeah i felt the message i got was being married is slightly less miserable than not being married
0: (laughs) 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 yeah complex theme maybe that's why it's such a short movie (laughs) I was shocked that uh, she
5: was only in two scenes. I was like, oh! Mm-hmm. And with all of these movies, I'm watching them through the lens of just looking for these actresses and their and their roles. And so mm-hmm. for me, all of these movies were just about that. And um, I was like, after the second scene, and or when the end came up, I was like, was she in it more? So I rewound and made sure I didn't miss something and tune out <laughs> at some point. But um, it was sad that she was only in it a little bit, and she was the most interesting part to me.
0: Yeah, I, it was so funny. I had just taken a trip upstate, and we passed, like, as we were driving, we passed um, Vassar. And <laughs> my friend was, was like, everyone who goes to Vassar will not shut up about it and always mentions Vassar <laughs> in every every time you talk to them. <laughs> And then sure, and then we're watching this movie like literally a couple days later, and then she's immediately like, "Well, Vassar and Poughkeepsie. And she's dropping all these names, and it was very funny because it was like it's very, it's very true. Although when she went, when they finally made it to her party, which was in Greenwich Village, and you know she's obviously countercultural for this movie, whereas the main characters are all sort of in the mainstream, mainstream hetero men, um, and. uh, and i kept looking around to see any signs of counterculture in the the apartment and uh, the only thing that read to me was that it was like the crowd was a little like crazier and there was a little more variety of people but i didn't get any strong like contextual things about what was going on with that group of people
6: yeah Absolutely. it's just
3: literally that she's like wearing black <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> agreed <laughs> that's it <laughs>
1: I expected bongos, and was kind of disappointed when I didn't see bongos. But but it's funny that they did start with her as this stereotype of the beatnik. Mm-hmm. But she kind of blows you away because she's so cool. She's yeah. not she's not uh, you know a caricature of cool. She's legitimately cool, and you you yeah. when she's doing that stream of consciousness rap is is one of the most entertaining parts of the movie. Partly because she's so different from the other characters that she's striking, and just her Mm -hmm. physical appearance is striking, not, like, strikingly beautiful, but just, like, this person from another planet, I want to know more about her, and I think that's part of what scares the Don Murray character back to, you know, domesticity.
2: Mm -hmm. I feel like it's telling, from what I recall, the the way man directs that scene, I mean, I I felt like there was more of a focus on the Don Murray character, even as Carolyn Jones is uh, spouting off her uh, her stream of consciousness spiel. I mean, I guess that's where the uh, suggestion of where the director's sympathies lie, mm. perhaps. Well, I did notice though. It
0: wasn't. Was Patty Shaevsky was was he a communist? Was he one of the blacklisted people, or did anybody know about his? Not
4: I should know this. I'm inclined <laughs> to say yes, but I don't have any textual backup mm-hmm. to.
0: Because well, I did notice in that that party scene, even though I said there's not as much counterculture as I was expecting in that in that scene, they they do have the sort of errant like comic lines about communism yeah. and people trying to recruit people at that party, which I thought was interesting um, because politically, I'm not sure that the existentialists that we're discussing had political affiliations. <laughs> it's more just sort of anarchy and. Her stories about not paying her rent were very funny to me, but um
6: <laughs>
4: To me I, the whole thing there was a big breaking down of lines kind of between and that her character, you know, between everybody in that last scene where we kind of see her for what she is and her real self and everything that she brings. That kind of puts everything kind of into scale. It's there's you know, there's this beatnik culture, but there's not much that separates her from the suburban house husband who does the you know, the suburban working class man who doesn't know what he wants in life. And the, you know, the stay at home wife who does not, not sure if she wants this baby. They're all, there was such a lack of communication throughout really that culture at that time. And that just kind of shows, I thought it was a very savvy take on American culture at this era, just showing where everybody was. Mm Mm-hmm. Oddly, I
3: also thought that the stories of the the two housewives were also kind of in their own way progressive mm-hmm. um, just the fact that they were having mature discussions about whether or not a baby was right for them at this time and very what much. their options were that seemed very almost out of place for what I think about in fifties movies um, which you know at the end of the day, they kind of do again reinforce the status quo but Uh, It was really cool to kind of see that
4: in this era sort of in an out of place way. Mm -hmm. The fact that they even talk about ending the pregnancy, should we even have Mm -hmm. this baby?
0: It just shows you how long all, all of the issues that we still deal with within all the movies we watched, (laughs) you know, that we've been dealing with them forever because Sayonara is all about racism and Mm -hmm. um, it just, and that's another thing I love about doing these specific years. And you just think, Wow we've you know it's so long ago, but at the same time we never get over these central <laughs> these central yeah. issues. It seems like
1: it was just just a few years before you couldn't use the word pregnant that was like a taboo <laughs> word, and I was kind of surprised that it showed up in two films, mm-hmm. and that two films this year dealt with the idea of miscarriage and abortion, although you couldn't you still couldn't say that word right mm-hmm. um but it was interesting to see how the two films use this sort of innuendo audience clearly knew what we were talking about there, but they didn't have to use the word, but, uh, you know, so 57 was kind of a boundary breaking year in that way, I think.
0: Well, even, um, so do you guys think we get, now we, we mentioned in briefly, but do you guys think we get to Cassavetes and all the, all that stuff in the sixties and seventies without these early 50 movies do you think it was just in the air or do you think these early 50 movies like marty and this one get should get a little more credit
1: any any idea i think cassavetes came out of television i know johnny Mm -hmm. staccato was his show and so he had this back and also being a new york actor and this is a very new york kind of you know marty and um and i also think of like 12 angry men which came out that same year it was it was not like a hollywood thing it was that gritty black and white TV adapted to film. So I think you could make a pretty good argument that Cassavetes was following that same current
0: Mm -hmm. and just became more famous than everyone else for doing it.
3: Yeah. I think he was on his mind for a lot longer because he used um, his money from Johnny Staccato. Like I think he accepted that role because he wanted to fund his own movies. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think you know, yeah, it must have just all been in kind of the air, the spirit of rebelling against films that look like Peyton Place.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> or okay. Sayonara, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the sort of, like, give the very the, the gloss and the polish.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I was I was just thinking, like, we mentioned Cassavetes, but, I mean, I guess there are other directors. I, I guess I'm thinking of, like, Altman, for instance, who I, if I remember correctly, he also starred in television. So... Uh, It could be, yeah, it could be a trend, like, at least some director that eventually became major filmmaker in the 1670s, you know, they cut their teeth on television, and maybe they absorbed some of the stylistic.
0: Yeah, I mean, even, I even thought of Altman during the initial, when we finally got to the titular scene, if you will, which was (coughs) hilariously not like a party, they were just, you know, depressed (laughs) and drinking, Um, but... But that that the dialogue was just like everybody was talking at once. It just didn't go anywhere. It felt very like Altman-esque before Altman, essentially.
3: I just finished um, a video about the Miracle Worker, and I didn't know that that was a teleplay before mm. it was a play. And I guess it's like uh, Arthur Penn, Lumet, Frankenheimer, all of these people started on TV. It's crazy to just think about. The different um, stylistic techniques that can come out of television that actually improved film. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and And maybe also its range of subjects, perhaps. mm -hmm. Like maybe maybe because I don't know, like there's something they couldn't do on television. Maybe they felt freer to do it in the '60s, in addition to the whatever all was going on in the country.
0: Alan, you work in stuff. TV. Do you, you have any uh, thoughts on this?
5: <laughs> well, one thing I thought that was interesting that I read about was that um, the Carolyn Jones character did not exist in the teleplay version of this. Uh, it was added for the film. And so it might be something that was uh, you were unable to do on television or introduce the kind of ideas that she brought with her in it. Mm-hmm.
0: Um you know, it, it is interesting that she was the only one who got attention because that doesn't really happen that often with supporting roles. Usually supporting nominations are, you know, it requires the film to be more popular. But it's also, you know, we see this time and time again in current races. The Oscars are so often about career momentum, too. And Carolyn Jones was having, like, a really good, like, time frame in her career, and she was, like, a rising star. And we see that also with... um Miyoshi Umeki, who was like, um, having really a big year because right after Sayonara, she was on Flower Drum Song on Broadway. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess we should talk about Sayonara, (laughs) which is, uh, I don't know if it's, it's not the most famous of these movies, but it's probably the most uh, controversial because at the time it was considered progressive, but I'm guessing looking at you in this room that you, none of you thought it was particularly regressive.
5: <laughs> is the reason I picked this year. Um, Cause I had never seen this movie, mm-hmm. but you know, it is the only Asian woman to ever win an, an acting Oscar. And I felt like I, I needed to see this because I'd heard about it. Um, so it was the main thing. And I, as it started, I was bracing myself for the yellow face and mm-hmm. for all kinds of, Terms like Oriental and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I knew that the message was going to be um, um, against anti miscegenation. And yeah. so I kind of had a little, like, okay, this is a step forward for back then. Um, and, and so it ended up being less, because I was really braced, it ended up actually being less racist than I thought it was. Definitely mm-hmm. had, good, had issues, but um, if it was more progressive than I was expecting because I was... I
2: I well. actually I was going to say, I actually re- just just yesterday um, watched um, Love is a Many Splendored Thing two, or maybe two years before mm-hmm. uh, Sayonara. Um, and at the very least, the fact that uh, Joshua Logan was willing to cast actual Japanese performers in these lead roles uh, certainly progress compared to casting. Um, um, why am I, why am I, Jennifer um, Jones. Jennifer Jones. Yeah, right. As
0: a oh, right. And just a couple of years before that too. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, so there is that, although apparently, uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't fact checked this, but according to Wikipedia, Joshua, <laughs> Joshua Logan originally wanted Audrey Hepburn for the, um, Miko Taka role.
4: I've seen that in a few places as well, in,
2: yeah. In, uh, uh, Miko Taka, apparently this is her first film. She had never really done acting before, which I mean, that kind of surprised me. I mean, she seems like a pretty confident performer in this, this, mm-hmm. this,
0: Um. One of the things I didn't understand about this one in terms of like, it's, uh, you know, progressiveness versus its own racism is if you're going to make the leap to understand you should cast authentically because they did cast Asian actresses for the two major roles. Like why on earth would you yellow face the only major male
2: character? Oh my God. Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. Like a, a,
0: a famous actor who was at the time like very typecast as like the Latin lover. Right and then put him in prosthetic makeup and have him pretend to be a famous Asian actor. Just, it just seemed to go against what the whole project was about. And, and the other things that they were trying to do, they were, they obviously had an intention, good intentions making the movie. It was mm-hmm. against anti-miscegenation laws and, um and they cast, you know, lot and they're like in the background, you're not seeing people in, you know, as I forget the the Catherine Hepper the Catherine Hepper movie Dragon Seed. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's horrible with like white actors and in, uh, in Asian makeup. But this, you know, there's like lots of Asian extras, and there's um and the two main female leads are both um Asian. So I just didn't. It, it was so jarring, <laughs> it was so jarring.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, they can only go so far in these Hollywood productions <laughs> in, in some casting. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, like, I guess i do not not super familiar with Montauban's career in the 50s. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I guess I only really know him in Fantasy yeah, Island, the 60s, and then, of course... Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah. I'm suspicious about two things there. One is that, like, it seems like they frequently just cast Latinx people as Asians. Like, I'm thinking about the King and I, when Rita Moreno mm-hmm. was in it.
6: Mm, yeah. And then
3: I'm also just curious about how I think I don't have exactly a thesis idea on this, but just <laughs> the difference between like how American, like white American culture has viewed Asian women versus Asian men. And like the idea of seeing um, Marlon Brando with an Asian woman would be seen differently than like a white woman with an Asian man, if that makes sense
5: absolutely
0: that's exactly what i mean um just just do you mean um alan just and izzy do you just mean like the desexualization of asian men or is that what you mean or just that it was yeah a hundred percent that's exactly
3: what i mean yeah and sort of the fetish fetish fetishization (laughs) that's a hard word wow
6: um
3: of asian women too yeah
1: well, speaking of de-eroticizing, do you feel like it was intentional that there was not a lot of sexual chemistry between the two leads, or do you feel like it just wasn't there? Because, well, for me, the most erotic moment is when Brando kisses Red Button's uh, wife at their wedding. That's like a tense moment, and. I didn't feel that at any other time. Uh,
2: I was gonna say that, yeah. Um, I felt at the very, I felt there was more like passion between Red Buttons and Miyoshi Kameki
6: than mm-hmm.
2: Marlon Brando, who honestly, the, the moment I heard him do his Southern accent, I was, I was, I was, I was like starting <laughs> to like. Is it is this this whole performance? I feel like I'm gonna fall asleep to be honest, because it's just so affected. And I mean, I don't even know if he even wanted to be there. But. Yeah, and you know, Brando, being as temperamental as he is, it's like, well, I know he just like Yeah, oh. apparent
0: apparently I did read that he invented that accent for the movie. It was not in the script. <laughs> and so when there's that um that scene where like I loved James Garner in this, who played mm-hmm. like another soldier. I thought he was really relaxed, whereas everybody else felt very like stiff, like I'm acting in this important movie. Um yeah. so I really loved James Garner, but um he has that scene where he first meets him at the bar and he was like, where are you from, soldier, to Marlon Brando? (laughs) And all I could think was like Looney Tunes, like Foghorn Leghorn, that's where he's from. (laughs) Leghorn is
5: what I thought the entire time. Like I'd never seen a character with that accent not have white hair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right.
3: Like he should be wearing a linen suit for
5: sure. What also interesting to me about this is he did this after Tea House of August Moon.
4: Yep, I was just thinking before,
5: that. He was doing Yellow Face, Marlon Brando, so... Oh, yeah. Uh, interesting transition. I think.
4: I'm glad you mentioned that. I was thinking about mentioning that myself.
0: I did not know that. Was that, wait, but are you saying before or after this?
4: Year before, 56. Oh,
0: okay. So if you haven't seen
5: them, look up his Yellow Face pictures <laughs> It's um, a lot of
0: bad. Yeah,
5: it's
4: Yikes. a mili- military comedy starring Glenn Ford. And yeah, it's Brando in a supporting role. Wow. And he's full on yellow face.
0: Well, then uh, maybe, like, if I didn't, I, I doubt he did this as penance, but <laughs> that would make sense <laughs> since this movie is, a, a, you know, like, sort of racism is bad message movie.
3: I think, so. okay, someone needs to fact check me on this. Cause I'm kind of remembering back like three videos of research ago, but like, I think he accepted this role because he was dating an Asian woman Uh, or something like that. And he like wanted to go to Asia basically.
6: Mm -hmm.
5: So my problem with this, the racism, I feel like that isn't like, yay, it's good to date someone who's a different race. But the issue for me with this whole thing that I felt like, I don't know if it was intentional, but it was the character of Eileen. It sets her up mm-hmm. as this independent um, woman who's strong and has ideas and um, and she's bad for him. She's like somehow the villain because he's in a relationship with her. And it isn't until he finds this other, uh, this this Asian woman who is right for him and what I didn't like was when we first meet, um, Anna, she's like this strong, powerful woman who plays the role of men in theater. Um, you know, she comes out stroking this rooster with long feathers, dressed kind of very androgynous as a man. Um, but when he comes into her life, she completely changes and then she eventually ends up giving up her career and completely submits to him in a way that Eileen wasn't. And mm. that is what completely wrong with me um
0: yeah so it's like
5: that's how it's presented yeah what it was presenting um was that they're more real women because they're submissive and being a strong independent woman like eileen is bad and um that was my problem with
0: yeah brett you mentioned that to me as well that you thought you know she was just trading one form of oppression for another
1: <laughs> but uh, speaking of eileen that my favorite unintentionally funny moment is when she walks in and sees brando wearing a japanese robe you mm-hmm. would think she'd caught him wearing women's lingerie or something there's this like <laughs> her jaw drops to see he's not in uniform he's you know he's it, it it's just it was a strange moment and i don't know if they maybe overplayed it a little bit
0: i w- i was very um interested to read that ricardo mandelbaum thought he was going to get nominated for this
1: <laughs>
5: in, in, dress off, yeah. in white face, in drag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, apparently, a, yeah. Apparently, his scenes. Uh, apparently, a lot of his scenes were cut or something. So, but he was. Um, he really thought he was still, going to get nominated. And the thing that I think is so interesting about that is that the movie is so, or at least the movie that it exists that we can see, is so like. Scared of him in what we were talking about before like you can't have an a- actual Asian man as like a, a sexual interest in the movie but then even, this, even the one unintentionally camp moment where Eileen sort of admits that she's attracted to this famous Asian man
6: yeah.
0: it has the, I, don't, I was going to record it and play it back for you guys to make you all laugh but <laughs> the soundtrack at that moment when she's like the only one person I want to talk to right now
1: is Japanese and then uh-huh.
0: there's this, like, in the soundtrack, That's like, drama of the score, like, that it's this, like, horrible, like, revelation that she is attracted to a a Japanese man.
2: Um, I was gonna, so I was gonna say, like, as far as the uh, Miyoshi meki, who, of course, won in this category uh, in 57, I mean, I, her character isn't necessarily interesting. She kind of is, like, a somewhat submissive Japanese housewife type and it's and i guess it's just that the omeki brings something to that that you know that whether it's like by herself or you know alongside red button that like ma- makes you gravitate towards her but uh but i mean i don't know it, it's i wonder about the implication of the fact that she went for that kind of role mm. uh uh and I, to be honest, I haven't seen Flower Drum Song, but I mean, I'm led to understand that Umeki shows a lot more her range as a performer. I mean, before she started this movie, she was known in Japan for as a as a singer
6: mm-hmm. and an actor.
2: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, uh, this this movie don't, doesn't really show off all that she can do. Yeah,
0: um, that's but, why I was saying like the the career context for people's wins like is always yeah. so important because like. When I was watching this, I was at first I was like, wait, it was her, you know, because I hadn't seen the movie before. I was just like, oh, and I was wondering about the other Japanese actress, like why, you know, because she's more has the the larger role. And usually even in the supporting categories, they would go with the larger role. Yeah. (laughs) And and she's the female lead. But I but it does make you think about, you know, what was that else was going on in her career. Um, and, and she was having a very, she had a very strong career for an Asian woman at the time in Hollywood. There's it's,
5: a lot of parallels between this and Hattie McDaniel and her historic win as well. Mm-hmm. Like um, they're both kind of roles that played on stereotypes. Um,
6: mm-hmm.
5: and were um, women of color who were managing to find a lot of work in the industry at the time, mm-hmm. like everything going against them. Uh, I just thought he would bring that bring that up. Another thing that um, is really sad is still um, she's the only Asian woman to be to have won, and more white women have won Oscars for playing Asians than Asian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's
3: it's also. I mean, I was thinking a lot about how this movie fits in the context with the rest of the films from 1957. And it really seems like this was a year where Hollywood was kind of exploring this um, idea of what the United States was doing in Asia. And just what is the role of um, the American military there? Mm -hmm. Cause you have like heaven knows Mrs. Allison, Mr. Allison. you have got this bridge on the river Kwai. um, Which one?
6: Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. is the best picture. Yeah.
3: So Um, that's a very consistent theme, but I think what's interesting about this one is that it actually is making sort of like a, almost like a social justice argument about the American presence there, and also is asking the perspective of women there, which Mm -hmm. is not something that the other ones do at all. Yeah. Um, So I think just kind of thinking about it from that perspective, too, kind of makes it a little more unique, even though there are aspects that are certainly disappointing <laughs> about yeah. it.
2: Yeah. Well, you of the bridge on the river quiet. Uh, I mean, one of the lead actors in that movie is Sua Hayakawa was at least um, major silent star um, in 1910. And I, I, I mean, I didn't know a lot about him until um, um, I, I just learned that apparently he, fun off his own he kind of created his own like production company in uh, towards the end of the 1910s to try to you know star in roles that fit him but also tell try to tell stories that were more at least authentically Asian mm-hmm. um and um and but also but you know in the 1910s I don't know who knows I mean maybe they were more pro- progressive in the 1910s than the 1950s as far as like male asian actors that had some kind of romantic screen presence um yeah
0: i think i think all of these things are with progress we see it's all it's all ebbs and flows right mm-hmm. you know and the changing you know public opinion um and it doesn't always go in the way of progress sometimes it goes back and forth <laughs> um
4: looking at any of these movies it's like take two steps forward you know a step and a half back you know it's Mm -hmm. historical analysis is so complicated
0: yeah and I think uh, the interesting movie here in that regard uh, might be Peyton Place because Peyton Place is trying to be very sort of gritty and have candor about complicated issues but it feels very old Hollywood in the way it presents itself. Mm-hmm. And it's also set in the 40s, but it doesn't really try, at least I didn't think in the craft realm, it all. wasn't really trying to be 40s. Which was, yeah, when they
3: said the war started, I was like, what? What war? <laughs> yes. they, the banner, <laughs> says <novelty? class> of,
4: <laughs> banner says class of 1941. I'm like, what did they do? Was that a class gift? I'm like, what's going on there? <laughs>
0: yeah, because yeah, yeah. they, were, they were even wearing like like 50s type of classic 50s Mm -hmm. skirt things right so it was it was interesting that they didn't they didn't even seem to be trying to be 40s and then all of a sudden we're in world war ii (laughs)
2: um
0: which is in the very recent (laughs) past for the other movies um it's just something to think about was paid in place it feels very sort of out of time and 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 like bachelor party it well it went the opposite direction of bachelor party where it became a tv show after it was yep, a movie whereas right. bachelor party was a tv mo- movie first um
2: it may be that quality of like not really being found in a particular time even technically it is but not being presented in a way that felt authentic maybe that allowed it to have a second life as you know, a place as a tv show mm-hmm. in like uh what was it like Mid to late sixties.
4: Sixty four, I think, is when it started.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I mean, yeah. It's like the uh, the inverse of Mayberry. You know, it's it's this iconic small town that represents X, and in this Mm -hmm. case, it represents scandal and secrets, and that Peyton Place has become synonymous. You know, people will say, "Oh, it's such a Peyton Place over there," Mm -hmm. Um, sort of like Stepford. Yeah. Mm -hmm. a, A fictional town will. Will have its own identity.
5: Yeah. <laughs> My only reference to this was the We Didn't Start the Fire song. That's the only thing I
2: knew about. the movie from that song.
0: I don't remember that being referenced in that song. Yeah, yep, it's there. Anyway.
2: You have like 500 other things Billy told referencing that song. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't have to pick out <laughs> everything.
0: Yeah, I, I had forgotten. I had seen Peyton place once before. Was it new to all of you?
3: First time for me. No, I I had a big Lana Turner phase, so.
0: Oh okay. (laughs) Hey, no shame in that. No shame (laughs) in
6: that.
0: Um, So, I I had seen it once before, and but I had completely forgotten so many things about it, and I had forgotten the moment that makes me laugh so hard in this movie that I will cherish forever is Lana Turner brushing off that suicidal (laughs) woman. Oh Nellie, we all have our problems. And I had completely forgotten that ad, the first time I saw that, like, 15 years ago or whatever, I was quoting that. Like, my friends and I were constantly quoting that to each other to be, like, rude, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, we all it's have our problems. So
3: funny. <laughs> I I want to go to a rowdy screening of Peyton Place so bad. That would be just, amazing. So, it's just constant, wow. like, gasps and, like, the next tragedy after another. It's mm-hmm. so good.
2: Well, honestly, I was going to say, the, the, the line that made me laugh personally uh, was, uh, the moment, uh, this is when um, Diane Varsity's character is trying to get that job at the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, I'll, I'll write for free. You know, I'll, I'll write for free. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and, and it's like one of the other, like older, editors like, no, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you definitely can pay for your work. And it's like very relevant to conversations like right now about that kind of thing. Um, you know, everyone in the arts was writing Seemingly writing for free, so yeah. Well, <laughs> we one from
0: that. one thing this movie definitely did have that was very '50s was like sort of the moralizing man who's totally correct about everything, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which you see yeah. in a lot of '50s movies because the, princ- the the new, the very hot principal, by the way, uh-huh. <laughs> very good match for uh-huh. Lana yeah. Turner. Um, he uh, he just was constantly moralizing and lecturing people, but he's always right. The movie always presents what he's saying as correct, even when he's really, you know, tearing uh, Lana Turner down about her mm-hmm. her behavior, then you learn that he's actually right, and you know, she was an ice queen all along, and now she's going to defrost for him, you know, type of thing. So <laughs> a little sexism problems in this movie. Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, that the poor uh, woman that was supposed to be the principal, too. Like, I thought oh. she gave a little bit of
4: attention oh, or something. my heart.
5: <laughs> like, uh, no, no, let's just focus on this guy now. <laughs> And, like, when they're talking about her, they're talking, like, she's like, oh, she's 46. She's, like, like, too old to be a principal. And they're all in their 50s. Like, that was, like, horrifying to me.
0: Was she, did also, they say her name in that? Did they say her age in that? They said 46. In the, oh, I, wow.
4: It's as Lloyd, Lloyd Nolan comments, the woman goes, well, she's so old, and Lloyd Nolan's character goes, oh, well, I happen to know you're she's the same age you are. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
3: i also really liked in the um in the courtroom when the doctor is giving his whole spiel about you know the truth Mm -hmm. and basically like the lesson of his speech is that gossip is bad and i'm like wait can we pull back a second and talk about like this murder and like this (laughs) assault that happened like nobody cares about that but they're all like wow gossip that's pretty bad
0: Yeah, it's, yeah. Now that you bring that up, it's true. His whole moralizing lecture is not about it's bad to rape people, but that yeah. you shouldn't be gossiping about rape, basically.
5: Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, the message
0: is don't talk about
5: anything, and I think that was part of the problem, too. So there was gossip, mm-hmm. and then people were also not talking about what happened. And, what
4: needed to be talked about.
5: Right. He, Like, she kept this, everyone kept everything a secret, and. That was part of what the
2: problem was. Yeah, for for reasons of like uh, trying to save face or whatever, mm-hmm. who's afraid of losing status? I mean, I guess that was the whole thing with uh, the whole playing character, you know, you know, being raped by uh, her uh, with stepfather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stepfather. Um, you know, like, well, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, sh- I don't want to like shame like my uh what, boyfriend, husband, or whatever. Um, I don't want to do that. So you can't, you can't mention this, which, um, but, you know, I did, I did like
0: that that character was very sort of, I mean, he didn't have a personality. (laughs) He was just sort of the boyfriend, but I did like that he was presented in a very sympathetic, like that he would actually support her and that she didn't believe that, you know, so I thought that was like a, a nice little touch, but that the movie does have lots of mixed messages because because the principal is constantly talking about like we need to discuss everything. We need sex education, and, mm-hmm. and then the, the the final moral lecture is like stop talking about everything. Yeah,
6: yeah. The
4: viewing this in context, where like, because I watched this and Bachelor Party kind of right next to each other, it was kind mm-hmm. of interesting to see the two of these as both. I almost saw them as a equal parts comments on 1950s suburban culture, just tackingly it into completely different ways, because this movie is looking at the seedy side of suburbia, essentially, which we, we don't see in the popular culture really much of the era. You know, leave it to Beaver. You wonder what June is doing, you know, when nobody else is there, but you don't talk about it. <laughs> so this is doing this salacious take on this culture, while Bachelor Party is kind of doing the same what's going on behind the perfect facade, but they're actually doing a very I would argue, centered, sensitive take on the same subject. Well, this is more a soap opera. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Bachelor Party is almost documentary in its mm-hmm. approach to these relationships. And, it's, and, you know, we were talking about, you know, abortion earlier. And then in this film, um, when she, the Hopeland character, falls down the hill, you know, that's an old melodramatic convention where a woman mm-hmm. fa- throws herself downstairs. She falls downstairs and that is code for miscarriage. Right. Mm-hmm. It was interesting that even though the doctor sort of took responsibility for it, they still had her fall down the hill mm-hmm. and then the next scene is her in the hospital bed, mm-hmm. so they they seem to be hedging a little bit and, and, and they just couldn't get that one foot out of the traditional Hollywood melodrama. They had to still do mm-hmm. things that way. They couldn't just come out and say it honestly and frankly or as honestly and frankly as they could with right. the censors as Bachelor
0: Party did. Yeah. Yeah. Peyton, Peyton Place is very, I wish more people, because it's one of those movies that has become like, it's seeped into culture, even if people don't know it. Um, because as we were saying, like references and like the town as an identity, um, I do wish more people would see it. Cause I do think it's an interesting movie for all of its mixed messaging. Um, and a great representative of that time period. Yeah, I kinda of
2: got on its soap opera wavelength to be honest. So I actually kind of mm-hmm. enjoyed watching it. Yeah.
0: Um and we haven't talked about the acting much with Peyton Place, but the the actors branch in the Academy went crazy for this movie. Five five acting nominations. Um and again, it's like juicy material for everyone. Um but I got the sense from the few of you who sent me the blurbs um for 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 listeners, um, when we published the uh the podcast um we haven't always finished all of the behind the scenes stuff (laughs) so i don't actually know what all of the panelists think about these performances yet so um i got the sense um from from early um things that some of you have said to me that um our opinions are all over the place about these performances so i think we should talk about the actors in this movie a little bit um i like for myself i did not respond well to diane Barcy, but i think some of you really did
2: yeah oh maybe I just like i kind of liked her character more and mm-hmm. um, yeah i know i i I don't know there's maybe I have a certain identification with the kind of person that's trying to you know the kind of character she is maybe mm-hmm. she's trying to she has aspiration to be a writer although to be fair if if the right if what The writing that's presented in that movie is hers. It's not very good writing. (laughs) I have kind of, like, I must admit my own bias here,
0: too. I think I kind of don't tend to respond well to actresses who are playing the daughters of, like, famous actress divas. Like, because I also hate the daughter in uh, Mildred Pierce, <laughs> but I love Joan Crawford. Well, and other easily people. done. <laughs> so, like, I, I think that that might be my, my, like, I might have some of that going in when I'm looking at the performance, but other than her shift from, like, more innocent and carefree to a more hardened person toward the end, I do think the actors all do a pretty good job of their arcs. Mm-hmm. I just didn't really think that the... I just didn't really think the performances were that great. Um,
4: I wasn't blown away by Varsee. I responded definitely more to Hope Lang's character.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I mean, I the Allison character. She, I've seen that arc before. I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, Natalie Wood has tackled a similar character like that how many times? And I've usually been more invested in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Varsee was what a complete newcomer, so she does a lot with what must you know a heck of a role but Mm -hmm. I the emotionality the arc of the Selena character Hope Lang I just responded to a lot more I thought she did more with what she had anybody I
5: I would agree I would say Hope Lang probably had the meatiest role of the bunch mm -hmm. Um, and there is a moment there when the doctor is kind of outing her for what happened Um, just her face is so layered, I I could just see so many emotions and feel each one, just that that moment was really great for her. I don't think any of our nominees got a moment like that for me, although Mm -hmm. it was a really pretty outstanding moment.
1: I mean, Varsie played the wallflower, and that's really hard to do when you're surrounded by so much scenery chewing and so Mm -hmm. many extreme emotions that she had to be, and she had to be neutral because it's through her eyes that the story is told, so she can't skew the facts. So in some ways, it was a thankless job, a very kind of role. I think she did great with it and maybe deserves more appreciation than she gets because it was a a role of someone who's just trying to figure out who they are and doesn't have a lot to, to push against.
2: Mm-hmm. Also, like, Barcy's role, I mean, it feels a little bit like, I mean, she got nominated for Supporting Actress. And I yeah, guess- but it's, she's the lead. <laughs> <laughs> she's the lead. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, yeah, yeah. It's, I feel like category, probably, considering how, <laughs> yeah. how prominent she is in the movie. I mean, Hope Lang seems like a more legit, like, Supporting Actress contender because, you know, it's not really through her eyes. So well, there is that. But, yeah, was, you know, Ilan yeah. already had the Actress nomination, Lead Actress nomination, So if I remember correctly. Huh.
3: I definitely think there's some tension there like between Varsi and Lana Turner, just because obviously Lana Turner was the supporting character who should have probably been in this category, although mm-hmm. this is her only best actress nomination. And I imagine it's just because she was too famous. Like that was yeah. kind of a thing back then. Yeah. <laughs> um,
6: mm-hmm.
3: And then, but I mean the challenge also like in, in terms of being a wallflower is that you have to be a wallflower to Lana Turner, who's, at her like most fluent in these kind of roles yeah so it's <laughs> just it. I mean you're just gonna get eaten up every time you're in a scene with her that's <laughs> not fair and then um yeah I mean both of both Hope Lang and um Diane Varcy felt a little flat to me um just almost like the stereotype of what an ingenue should be doing
6: mm-hmm.
3: a little bit um, so I wasn't too blown away, but I mean, the story is just so entertaining. You don't need to have a knockout performance to like mm-hmm. make your, to do your job basically. So it didn't bother me, but it was, it did, um, feel a little flat.
0: I did really like Russ Tamblin um, in it, in it. Um, I thought his, again, all of the, all of the young actors in this have to do like quite a big shift about halfway through the movie and feel like older versions of the same characters and i do think
6: mm-hmm.
0: they all really did pull that off um but it isn't it just it was just interesting to me that the movie was such a hit with the actors branch
5: my favorite was betty i wanted more betty
0: yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and she i like it It was fun to see her because uh, isn't terry Moore from uh come back little shiva Oh,
6: yes. yes. I
1: believe yeah. so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so she was nominated for that. So, yeah, she did have a, like, a fun little uh, career in the 50s, uh, Terry Moore.
1: I was really uh, hoping that West Hamdom was going to turn out to be the gay friend. there, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. yeah. but I guess Hollywood wasn't quite ready to go there Wait.
4: yet. No, not that progressive yet. Well, <laughs> oh,
0: and, and yeah, it's worth noting that Psycho was just three years after this, <laughs> with the, also with the male lead named. Norman, who mother, dominated. mother mm-hmm. I
2: didn't think of that while watching this. Norman, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, the seeing his mother on the porch like Norman was a little like shocking. Um, having grown him, up on Psycho,
1: when she sees him on the train later, and he's so cool, and he, he's like all touchy with her, and puts his uh-huh. arms, mm-hmm. it's strange. Like what in the world happened to him while he was in the army that brought him <laughs> out of the show? I guess he's just being away from mom. A little <laughs> oh. oh, disconcerting. He's so. Yeah, Are the- you
0: implying that if Norman Bates had left uh, the Bates Motel, he <laughs> might have been all right?
6: could <laughs> <laughs> have enlisted.
2: Oh, maybe that's what Norman Bates should have done.
0: <laughs> Just go with the army. <laughs> so we haven't, oh, I, I, I know we're running out of time, but we haven't discussed witness for the prosecution, which I have a shameful confession I had never seen. And I loved so much. I'm sure, like. Wait,
6: did, did
3: you like the twist? Did it work for you?
0: Like, listen everything but, about that movie worked for me i was so <laughs> in love with it the entire time um, it's controversial. I, it was, I thought it was so funny and like all the actors like charles lawton was just a scream and um although i kept thinking of all all the um i really want someone to do a biopic of charles lawton and elsa lanchester because i kept thinking of all the stories of their marriage and that he was apparently a raving homosexual and that she was she just loved the gaze or something, so she was like uh-huh. all forehead or something. I don't really understand the stories I've heard, but um, yeah, I, I, need, there are I need rumors
3: about her too. Oh yeah.
6: yeah. <laughs>
2: so
0: no,
6: they I, have.
2: I, I...
3: Sorry, I was they... gonna say,
2: I, I I did really enjoy this movie, I and mean, then I mean, like just like I guess you can the Elsa Lanchester performance. I mean, like you can kind of you know get the sense of you know you feel that like all that all those years of marriage or whatever. In, in just the way she puts up with Charles Lawton's character being, mm-hmm. like, not following the rules, not taking his pills and all that. But she does it so, like, magnetic. I mean, it is, like, a challenge to hold your own against Lawton at his hammiest, but mm-hmm. she does it.
4: I mean, that role is really made by the that chemistry that they have yeah. together. Mm-hmm. If, you know, put another actress in that role... I mean, it would be might be funny, but it wouldn't have quite the same weight or meaning to it, just because those mm-hmm. two brought such a chemistry together.
1: When we are yeah, watching they, it, I was just thinking, it, it's it's banter. When are we going to see that moment that really clinched the nomination for her? And then, in the last reel, that moment happened. So it was kind of a – I was kind of wondering, is this a career appreciation nomination? Um, two. I wasn't quite seeing it, because it was such uh, comic relief that she – she could do in her sleep. But then that, that warm, intelligent moment at the end to me was like, okay, that's, that's when the Academy voters started uh, mm-hmm. checking her name on.
0: She was just so fun in it. Like that, that scene where she's like holding, holding the syringe up was just making me laugh <laughs> oh, yeah. so hard. I just, I really loved the movie and I yeah. even loved that it pulled the rug out from under me in terms of like, at first I was like, Tyrone Power and Marlene Dietrich are so bad in this movie. But then the twist the twist is that, you know, they're overacting on purpose in, in the scenes where they're overacting. So I ended up just retroactively just, like, loving everybody and everything about the movie.
5: Um, yeah. I feel like this like is another one where Marlena Dietrich should have been in a supporting category. And mm-hmm. she might have mm-hmm. been a little better if it had been her and Lana Turner in supporting categories.
3: Um,
2: nominated?
5: No, no. And, no. You know,
3: which was a big of, deal, I think.
2: Mm. Well, apparently, I, I forget where I read this. Apparently, she wasn't, or maybe she, they weren't, they didn't submit her for a nomination because of the the twist, um, mm-hmm. and some. I guess some people they felt that that would spoil the twist or something if she got. Some, which I don't know. That, I read that somewhere. I, that seems like weird reasoning, but like because I mean, <laughs> I guess her show off her. Marlena Dietrich's show off the acting moment was would be when she's in that train station fully <laughs> made up to not look like her. <laughs> Providing yeah. crucial info. Well, that,
0: apparently, like Ricardo Montalban, who we mentioned, um, she really thought she was going to get nominated for this one, Marlena Dietrich. So she was very disappointed, apparently. Bet.
5: <laughs> one interesting thing was we have the brightest of Frankenstein, Elsa Lanchester, And Morticia Adams.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good point. Very true.
0: Yes. Um, Which uh, brings me to uh, my favorite game that we play at the end of the SmackDowns, um, where we have to recast the roles. Um, So take one of these women and put them in one of the other roles. And what does it do to the role? And what does it do to the performance? Um, I love doing this just because maybe because I fantasize about being a casting director. Um, Mm -hmm. So anybody want to start?
3: I, I would love I, to... Oh, go ahead.
2: Oh, oh I was gonna... I kinda, I guess I kind of wanted to claim uh, uh the attempt to try to recast the Miyoshi Mekki role because that's the first one I thought of when, when, when you know, you mentioned that this is something that happens at the end of these podcasts. And I'm trying to think of some of the other, like, Japanese actresses that were popular in Japan, mm-hmm. uh, especially ones that never really crossed over into the U.S. I mean... I mean, two came to mind. I mean, there was Setsu- Setsuko Hara, who was in a lot of Ozu movies, like mm-hmm. the 40s and 50s. Um, and she's known for playing, like, the kind of submissive character that perhaps deep down, like, shapes, shapes under the pressure of having to fulfill certain familial obligations, but she does it anyway. Um, and um, and then there's uh, Hideko Takamine, mm-hmm. So, but I just, like, it was interesting to imagine how those icons of Japanese cinema might have played this role in the Hollywood production.
3: Carolyn Jones in the Hope Lang role. Um, I think she would do a really cool job with that because you can tell even with the maybe 10 minutes of screen time that she had, she was mm-hmm. making, like, seven decisions a minute trying to... Yeah create this character that doesn't even have a name so mm-hmm. I would love to see her have something really meaty to kind of dig into um, and seeing her play Hope would be or play um, I forget what her name is uh, play that role mm-hmm. but then as, going off of the other way I was thinking about what Anne Bancroft was in Bachelor Party as that character Oh,
6: interesting. Um,
3: because just thinking about like this would have been right before her foray into the stage Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of thinking about that like kind of sultry air that she can put on um, while also being very kind of intellectual, I think would be so interesting in that role. So Mm -hmm. two for one there.
1: Great. I'll go next. Um, Like Kenji, I'm also going to recast the uh, Umeki role from uh, Sayonara, but I'm going to do something that I hope you'll forgive me for. I want to see Carolyn Jones in the role (laughs) <laughs> and see what would have happened if they had done it with a Western actor if it would have if it would have ruined the film. You know what I mean? I think we can better appreciate Miyoshi Umeki by uh seeing, you know, how a traditional Hollywood casting person because you know, Carolyn Jones has striking eyes and you can see in their minds, ah, oh, she'll be perfect for the role. Mm-hmm. And I think that would help us appreciate Umeki more to see that role being played. You know the uh, you know the the politically incorrect way. Yeah. Or AKA the Hollywood way.
0: Right. The yeah the the yeah the Hollywood way until very recently actually. Yeah. Um, Kimberly, oh, Alan, you wanted to go.
5: I wanted to go in the opposite direction of that though, kind of along same lines. I wanted to put Miyoshi Yumeki in the role of Allison in Peyton Place and yeah. see. Oh, interesting. What problems that meant? So that meant that Lana Turner had been with an Asian married man somewhere Ooh. and have this half Asian daughter and was, how that would have played out in that town I think would have been super interesting, maybe even more interesting if they never even discussed it, if it was, she was just
0: a different
1: <laughs> <woman>. Sounds <laughs> like and you're already working on it, the treatment. Yeah. <laughs>
0: and it would have fit in right in, right in with uh, Hollywood's obsession with, uh, at the time with what are we doing with, with Japan?
2: <laughs>
0: like what's going on with our relationship yeah, yeah. with Japan?
4: I had gone actually, and my head had initially went to casting outside. But um, thinking, kind of moving the actresses around, I have to echo the Carolyn Jones into the Hope Lang part. I the what she could have brought to that character that she brings that unspoken almost sexuality to that character and such depth and a little more age that Hope Lang didn't have at the time. She was such a young actress. There could have been such interesting layers that I really would have loved to have seen that.
0: Uh, I'm going to go in, like also go with Yumeki, but um, I think it would have been interesting, especially given like New York and counterculture and what the bachelor party says it's yeah. doing to put Yumeki in the carolyn jones role jones role good yeah I like um, that then it would feel even more like they the, these like heteronormative straight men ended up in this like counterculture party and dealing with people and and ideas that they're not used to dealing with and uh
2: they're different races
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i think that would have been interesting and also because from everything i've read about UMeki's career and i definitely after seeing I I definitely want to see more of her work um mm. I I get the sense she had so much range that obviously Hollywood um we only got a little bit of um which is mm. tends to be their way with well I mean not just with actors of color which is like actors in general they love to typecast people and give them this tiny little window of things that they can do but it's worse of course for actors of color um so she managed this like pretty good career um but she was still like Trapped by the the time period, you know. I've been um, listening a lot to her music since this. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's really fun.
6: She's oh. so
3: good. There are some videos of her on TV with Dinah Shore on oh, YouTube, I have to look and they're that. beautiful. They sing beautifully together. I mm-hmm. highly mm-hmm. recommend it. Checking it out. Yeah,
0: yeah. So definitely a career worth discovering. And as we didn't pay enough lip service to, even though we have mentioned it, the only Asian actress sadly, to have won an Oscar. Um, what would it take for that to change? Any ideas? Oh,
2: we'll see. Yeah. Maybe I, it,
5: first off, hiring these women would be mm-hmm. great
6: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe a Umaki biopic.
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> farewell? Yeah. Wasn't the farewell that's the title of the film? I mean, that should have, you know, had nominations. Yeah.
4: Yes, completely agree. Yep.
1: So, yeah, well aquafina was
4: robbed
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> well um
0: we have to wrap up sadly um but um i do want to thank all of you for coming and as we leave i want i want you to list uh if you have a 1957 movie you want to recommend to people please do and then let us know where we can find uh your work or more about you um thanks again to our guests so we'll go in reverse order uh, this time brett wood
1: Well, um, you can find my two scripted podcasts uh, wherever you find your regular podcasts. Uh, That's The Control Group and The Seventh Daughter. And my film, Those Who Deserve to Die, is now up on Amazon. It comes out in August. And as far as my favorite '57 film, I assumed I was going to go last in alphabetical order, so that means I get to choose the one everyone else is going to choose, I'm guessing, which is... uh, Alexander McKendrick's Sweet Smell of Success, which has the best dialogue of any film ever made. And it it just sort of uh, is, is a great film for Hollywood, having one foot in traditional storytelling and one foot into a more cutting edge, gritty, uh, almost you know post-noir storytelling. But uh, Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis have never been better. And if you've not seen Sweet Smell of Success, get out there and find a copy
0: great um kimberly pierce
4: uh i am on twitter at kpierce 624 and you can always uh, my podcast is up wherever you should be able to find podcasts it's hollywood and wine and i'm also on youtube at female gaze productions where i look at kind of my passion for classic hollywood and television and everything like that And I have to be on original and echo sweet smell of success as well for 1957 films. That's one of my all, all, all time favorites, you know, noir cinema. Um, I'm a sucker for Martin Milner. So that is the reason why one of the reasons I like it, but that dialogue it's so complex and so interesting. And it just really rocked my little noir world when I saw it.
0: Great. Thanks for coming today. Um, Izzy, be kind to rewind.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, so you can check me out at Be kind Rewind on uh, YouTube and then on, you know, all the socials and some variation of BK Rewind. Um, and then my favorite 1957 movie is An Affair to Remember, because I'm just kind of sappy like that. And <laughs> I dig good chemistry. Um, and that is absolutely what Cary Grant and Deborah Carr bring to that movie um it's just a little bit of a tearjerker but it's very sweet and cute if you like that kind of thing
0: great and uh kenji
2: uh i am uh i am on twitter at k-e-n-j-f-u-j ken Um, and you can find my writing at various websites most recently theater mania um i've also recently written about fine art for this website fine art globe and a lot of my film writings can be found on places like Slant Magazine, Paste, uh, also the late lamented village voice, rest in peace, uh, among other outlets. Uh, as far as my favorite 1957 movie, well, I assume we're allowed to do all over the world, right? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I have a really soft spot for Luchino Visconti's Le Noti Bianche, the White Knights. Uh, and honestly, I don't, I don't really necessarily have like a, it's more of a personal thing. Uh, It, 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 uh, uh, it, uh, speaks to the hopeless romantic in me seeing Marcello Mastroianni pining after at least the, uh, the image of a woman. Um, and then seeing all those, um, all those, uh, fantasies and hopes kind of dashed at the end. But, Mm -hmm. uh, it's also a really beautiful film. Uh, Climax featuring Snowfall, one of the um, most gorgeous cinematic moments, at least in my personal canon. Uh, uh, It's, I believe, is on Criterion Channel. Uh, It certainly was on the Criterion Collection. Uh, So worth checking out there if you have not seen it.
0: Great. Thanks for coming today. And finally, QL. Um,
2: Hi. You can
5: find me on Twitter at Alan Broca. Um, A-L-L-A-N-B-R-O-C-K-A. All my films are on Amazon Prime. And um, my 1957 recommendation would be um, Throne of Blood, which is Akira Kurosawa's telling it that it is stunningly gorgeous and um, the acting is riveting. I would recommend checking that out.
0: I was gonna, you stole mine. <laughs> I was gonna <laughs> add with be like, none of you said Throne of Blood, which is the best. Uh, so good job.
5: <laughs> I can start, you the glory, take that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, also it fits right in with all these things we've been discussing about Hollywood and Japan in the in the fifties. Um, throne of Blood is amazing. Uh, the other one I want to give a shout out to before we go is um, The Cranes Are Flying from Russia, which is just uh, Mikhail Kalatozov's uh, The Cranes Are Flying. If you haven't seen that. Please look that up. And now I have a new favorite American picture, thanks to the SmackDown witness for the prosecution. Um, Anyway, this was great fun to talk 1957 with all of you. Thanks so much for coming.